The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour. China retaliates. Beijing raises tariffs on $60 billion worth of U.S. goods in response to Washington's decision to hike duties on Chinese products. But President Trump isn't worried. The Dow tumbles 600 points as the U.S.-China trade war heats up while the S&P 500 notches up its worst day since early January, losing more than $1 trillion in market cap since May the 3rd. Uh, technology stocks leading losses, with the sector shedding more than 3.5%, posting its worst day since January 3rd. And stocks across Asia extending the sell-off, whilst early U.S. futures actually point to a higher open. And at this hour, a California court orders Bayer to pay $2 billion over Roundup cancer claims. Plus, the Supreme Court deals a major blow to Apple in the App Store antitrust case. And aluminium giant Roussel's first quarter profit drops as the impact of U.S. sanctions lingers. So, very good morning once again, everybody. We've given you the raw headlines. I think we need, though, to dwell, don't we, a little bit on the nuances around this story because as you watch the market action yesterday, there were quite a lot of shifts in sentiment taking place and lots of different issues cropped up. Are the Chinese going to sell their treasury holdings or stop buying any more? Are they going to stop buying LNG from the United States? Are they going to stop buying more agricultural produce from the United States? Yeah. Yeah. Is that your read? No. You've got to do it right. Oh, oh I, thought we just, I thought oh. you said ad lib at the top. And oh, no, I was going to do it. But yeah, you're okay. absolutely right. No, and, and this is my point. And I have read, I like to think almost as much as you uh, about this. Oh. I've read about Gideon Rackman talking about revisionist trade policies and revisionist foreign policies from the Chinese and the US as well. Uh, I've read the New York Times about this, all the reports coming through. I keep reading and I'm failing. I'm a failure, Mr. President. I'm a failure because I can't see with the bit where it says the Chinese are paying the tariffs. And I can't see the bit that said the Chinese are paying for this because everything you just mentioned at the top, plus loads and loads more, is heaping pain on the US consumer, US corporates, US agriculture, US farmers within that, US LNG producers, US shell producers. I can't see the bit where those guys are winning out of this as well. I can't see where the substitution is coming from. Yeah, Chinese high cost because we're putting the tariffs on. Where is the substitution? Well, I'm afraid a lot of these contracts are long-term as well. You can't just switch your supply chain to Vietnam overnight. You can't switch it to the African continent overnight. This is a long-term uh, set of logistics, strategic issues, partnerships, MOUs, you name it as well. And you mentioned LNG. They're really suffering with their volumes to China as well. You mentioned agriculture. Take a look at what's going on in soya. It's horrendous. The surpluses, and to be fair, a lot of this is about uh, the problems they're having in the domestic meat industry in China as well, with African uh, swine fever as well. And that means less need for soy products. So there is other things going on as well which are hurting the sector. But my goodness me, a lot of people are pay, pay, having pain here. If you're buying a washing machine, a white good, where do you think these things are made? 
They're made in China, and it's the consumers who are So I want to see the evidence from Mr Kudlow. I want to see the evidence from Mr Mnuchin. I think these are very, very smart gentlemen as well. They must have a plethora of information for us. I just want to see some of it. Well, let's read the read and see what the plan <laughs> is and find out exactly what they're doing. Trade tensions between the US and China have escalated after Beijing announced it will impose tariffs of up to 25% on $60 billion worth of US goods. It comes after President Trump hiked duties on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports. The Chinese levies will be placed on over 5,000 products, including food, building materials and consumer goods, and will take effect on June the 1st. Speaking at the White House, President Trump said further trade talks will take place with President Xi at the G20 summit in June. We're in a very strong position. Our economy has been very powerful. Theirs has not been. Uh, we've gone up a lot since our great election in 2016. And uh, if you look at the numbers, they've gone down quite a bit. Uh, we're dealing with them. We have a very good relationship. Maybe something will happen. We're going to be meeting, as you know, at the G20 in Japan. And that'll be, I think, probably a very fruitful meeting. What we're seeing is we're ad-libbing this, Jeffrey. What yeah. we're going to do is something go very on. elegant. We're going to go like this. <laughs> exactly. You're more madness. I was right. more Doris Day. God bless okay. Doris Day. What an God amazing bless. life that wonderful lady had, okay, by the way. Sarah, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. And that's the markets. The case, Sarah. I wondered who Sarah was when I was a young person, but then I did Latin. I read what will be. K Sarah will be. And we don't know what will be. One thing we do know is, do you know that they're not actually due to meet at all? at the moment, the Chinese and no. Americans. There are no trade talks lined up. But I know something. June the 28th, and I'm looking at it, is 45 days from now. Do you know how I know that? Because I looked at the diary. <laughs> <laughs> and, and June 28th is the start of this very important G20 meeting in yes. Japan as well. Yes. So when maybe there'll be a chat between Xi and Trump. I mean, that's not really firm for the markets. So we've got within that, uh, let's say, 45 days. What are mm. we talking? 30-plus trading days where the market's got to work out what's going on here as well. Really worrying times. Anyway, let's have a look at these markets as well. There is one more point I want to make. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average down 2.4%. S&P down 2.4%. You can find sectors falling left, right and centre. Industrials, discretionary, materials. But I want to make a quick point about the Nasdaq as well. Down, if I'm not invading your space, down 3.4% here, yeah? yes? Within that, we're seeing technology is down and having some of its worst sessions. 7% lower since May the 3rd. Semis down 10.3% since May the 3rd as well. But let me just make a point to all you ladies and gentlemen in market world, you've had a hell of a good run, haven't you? Look at these numbers. Uh, Nasdaq is up 15% year to date still. You know, you're doing all right. You take 15% home, you're doing all right if you had this stuff. Uh, and 23.5% since Christmas Eve. So we've had a good run. We were perhaps due something for the downside. Well, the interesting thing about this, and you're going to roll over and look at some other companies well, here that I think will be... But, but the yeah. point I just wanted to make about the Nasdaq is it, I think, it's just a metre on broad market nervousness right so that was your growth sector that was your momentum you're worried about the broader market you're worried about the upside potential you sell the nasdaq because that's where your winners have been and you take some profit and at that's this where point. the herding has been as well Absolutely. i mean people i dare say i don't mean to be rude but a lot of people aren't showing that much imagination when you see a stock going up you tend to buy it it's, it's really clever trading it's called momentum or we used to call it buy on blue, sell on red, but then now it's buy on green, sell on red. Anyway, change that. Yes. Uh, the fact of the matter is, that's what's going on a lot of these stocks as well. Age, uh, technology. Let's have a quick look at some technology names for you. Here we go. NVIDIA, which always seems to bear the brunt, down 6.14%. 
Uh, Facebook, Facebook owns WhatsApp, doesn't it? Yep. World of pain going on there at the moment. They found a hack. Anyway, we'll move on to that one later, later on. Uh, Alphabet down 2.7, Amazon down 3.5, Apple. We should mention Apple in, uh, in China uh, conversations, down 5.8%. Uh, what this means for iPhone sales, goodness knows as well. Uh, Intel down 3.1%. Quick look at the Asian markets for you as well. We have got lots to get through here as well. Uh, I think I've spoken far enough. 1.4% lower. Uh, Would some of these other uh, Asian markets actually supposed to be benefiting from the substitution story, I wonder? Yes. I mean, obviously, May's are primarily Chinese, <coughs> the, these two anyway. Well, there is, there is this point, isn't there? And, that, and you've alluded to it several times uh, in this spot that we're doing here about whether US businesses will now look to non-tariffed countries for their sourcing. So does that mean that Chinese companies continue to set up operations in countries like Vietnam and Bangladesh well, and elsewhere in the region because that way they can avoid the sanctions or the, question uh, the tariff me, process? And I have only questions. I don't have any answers. I'm not a smart ass here. I do not know anything. Uh, but uh, uh, sorry, a smart aleck. Uh, it's early morning. Some people are, there's children watching this show. Choking uh, on their cornflakes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I mean, donkey, smart donkey, smart yes. ass. But, but my point here is, uh, what is One Belt and Road about if it's not about just breaking some of the symbiosis of just having a purely huge trans-Pacific uh, relationship? Yes. Uh, let's bring in Michael Priest. He joins us uh, from Taurus Wealth. He's a portfolio strategist. Michael, can I just start by asking you for your general thoughts yeah. about how the investment community should be reacting to this trade war as we see it now? Look, I think we're going to see a major repricing of assumptions. Because if you, if you put things into context and look back, look, I mean, look at your screens over the last few weeks. The headline always was equities rise for hopes of trade war solution. Now it looks like that the tariffs start to look like a goal and not like a tool, and that these tariffs could be permanent. So I think that leads many people to rethink their investment strategies. And I think many people have, in my opinion, wrongly focused on the trade side. It's beyond trade. It's ultimately about potentially a China containment strategy, and also to encourage domestic investment in the U.S. The, that's fascinating what you're saying. The, if, if I could throw the Fed into this as well, because it does seem as though we enjoyed a, an improvement in broad risk sentiment after the Fed pivot, and that does seem to be washing out of the market as well. And we put on top of that this issue of whether these tariffs are going to be permanent or not. Do you see then any opportunity to take on risk um, over the short to medium term through this, uh, the rest of this year? Selectively, I, I think volatility most probably is going to pick up even more. But I think what's very clear in my mind is that Look, I mean, if you think about it, President Trump often watches the stock market very closely. Is, I think it's no coincidence that the tweet about China tariffs came just the weekend after the U.S. stock market reached an all-time record high again and was up roughly 17% for the year. So, again, I think the Trump administration and some people there have potentially decided to short-term pain. I think that seems to be the strategy. And if that means that the stock market goes down the next day, so be it. Because I think they know that it's in the long-term strategic interest of the U.S. to now be firm with the Chinese. Michael, I want to pick you up on your point about the Trump administration's thinking here. Do you think that Trump has effectively calculated that there's less to be gained now from striking a deal than there is to be uh, gained from continuing with tariffs uh, from the perspective of his voters, that he keeps uh, a hard line and uh, continues to press on with this mission? 
Uh, look, to me, that looks increasingly high probability outcome. And I think, as you see, the whole idea of church domestic in the U.S., as Mr. Trump tweeted the other day, the solution to terrorists is easy, build in the USA. And, and that, of course, needs, again, to the point about supply chains and restructuring. That will happen, and that potentially lead to some uh, volatility in markets and repricing of securities. But long term, it should be okay. It's just a, it's, it's a firm economic strategy that is being implemented. And if there's some volatility, so be it, I suppose. I think that's ultimately, I think, their stance on this at the moment. Well, uh, Michael, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Michael Price, portfolio strategist from Taurus Wealth. Now, I want to take you to some of the moves we saw yesterday in markets, starting with volatility. We saw a spike in the market volatility index, the VIX, very closely watched by investors. It did rise to 21.3 at one point yesterday, its highest level since May 9th. It settled around 20.5. That was a 28% spike yesterday. So a return to volatility in markets uh, for sure yesterday. On the flip side, we saw a bid for safe haven assets, as you would expect in this risk-off environment. Uh, gold rallied about 1% higher yesterday. Right now, gold giving back a little bit of those gains, down about six basis points this morning. Uh, also a bid for the Swiss franc and the Japanese yen, safe haven assets. And the yield curve in the U.S. shifting lower. We saw a strong bid for U.S. treasuries. Uh, it, debate remains around whether that is a reflection of the escalation in trade tensions or a, a reflection of where we are with the Fed and what all of this means for the rate outlook for the U.S. But the picture here is one of lower moves for U.S. Treasuries. Uh, and that is the picture for risk uh, risk assets and safe haven assets yesterday. Steve? Uh, Julian, is this the first time you've anchored Squawkbox? No, I have anchored no. a couple times when First you First time you've Jeff done it with me, though, isn't it? Yes. Well, good luck. <laughs> no, really great to have you. I'm so pleased you've joined us actually, this morning. So Thank what a great day much. for you to join. Thank you very much indeed for joining the team. <laughs> anyway, right, let me just uh, tell you, trade tensions escalate, of course, speculation increasing. Well, this Beijing could start selling down its massive holdings of Treasury bonds. I don't particularly like this story per se. But anyway, the editor-in-chief of China's state-run Global Times tweeted that, quote, Chinese scholars are discussing the possibility of dumping U.S. Treasuries and how to do it specifically. Well, Lawrence Mutkin is the global head of G10 rate strategy at BNP Paribas. And Lawrence, fair enough. The, the story is there and it comes up every time, like a horny old chestnut every time we talk about uh, problems between the U.S. and China. But, yeah. but, but, I, I think it could happen naturally because if you look at the Chinese policy is to reduce their dependence on exports as well. If you look at the fact that actually US-China trade flows have been diminishing anyway, which means less recycled dollars are needed anyway for Treasury. So I see a natural erosion of those holdings anyway. Well, I don't know about an erosion, but it's certainly true that the, the rise that we've seen in, Japanese, in Chinese holdings of Treasuries um, has plateaued in the last couple of years. And it's plateaued, as you say, because the vast amount of exports that the Chinese economy started growing with has diminished. So what, how, do, how do reserves happen? Reserves happen because the Chinese central bank ends up with dollars that it has to recycle yeah. into these treasuries. And, and as you say, now that the trade flow is flattening out, that's more or less plateaued anyway. What I think is another potential uh, a seismic shift or potentially that could happen is, and we mentioned the dollar. We talk about the dollar all the time. But obviously, everybody's always looking for alternatives. Every time they get upset with Americans, they look at alternatives. When the Russians get upset with them, they talk about South-South trade or East-East uh, uh, East, East trade or what have you. Uh, and they don't need the dollar anymore as well. But the U.S. has been bemoaning its position uh, in world trade at the moment, how they've been subsidising the Chinese. But actually, the fact that they've been able to do everything in dollars has kept their borrowing costs so low as well. Do you see any changes there in the medium term? 
So the, the, the dollar is the invoicing currency of world trade. And it's, it, the incumbency of that is very hard to shift. Um, there are so many advantages, just not, not, only, not only the uh, advantages of market liquidity and so on, but just in terms of the infrastructure around dollar trading, that that seems to be always uh, where the market's gone back to. And we've seen in the past, as you say, when tensions have arisen in different blocks, there's, a, there's an idea of moving pricing to other currencies. And, and, and there are obviously trans transactions done in things that are not dollars, but ultimately the market tends to price it back through the dollar because that's where the, the greatest liquidity yeah, just is. Just one anecdote. I had a wonderful guest here once. Um, actually, she was a baroness of the realm. And, and she said, oh yeah, we're, we're selling property in Dubai uh, and we're going to let people do it in Bitcoin. I said, but Bitcoin is so volatile. You can't use your cost. And, uh, she goes, oh yeah, it's immediately convertible back into dollars. I was like, so why the Bitcoin? Anyway, ridiculous. <laughs> I want to go back to the impact of China selling treasuries if they proceed to do so. I mean, even if they were to sell billions of dollars worth of their treasury holdings, it still leaves them with billions of dollars worth of treasury holdings. So if they start selling, put a substantial amount of pressure on the market, don't they end up inflicting pain on themselves with the mark-to-market -market impact of that? Well, I guess, I guess they would, although, again, with reserves, no one's quite sure what the, why mark-to-market is important. But the truth of it is, if you sell your treasuries, you have to buy something else. You know, how, what are you going to do? You're going to put money on deposit at a U.S. banking institution in dollars? I mean, in a way, the reason that they're in treasuries, the reason all reserves end up in government bonds, is partly because it's the obvious place for reserves to be. But especially in the case of China, we're talking over a trillion dollars worth of treasuries even now. It's very hard to find a home for a trillion dollars in many places. The liquidity is just not there. Although the Fed could just buy them itself, right? <laughs> and just suppose. increase its balance sheet well, as it has done in, in the past. So it's a hollow threat, effectively. But again, I would say just follow the money. When they sell them, what do they get back for them? They get US dollars. Well, they're going to put them on deposit at you know, uh, their local mom and pop bank. It's, it's, it's not really feasible to get out of the dollar system. Of course, that's not to say you can't sell dollars into other currencies for, um, to take a view on where currencies will go to, but it's not about where are you keeping your, your reserve wealth. All right, uh, Lawrence Mutkin, leave it, we will leave it there, but plenty more to discuss shortly. Lawrence Mutkin, Global Head of G10 Rate Strategy from BNP Paribas. Let's take a look at opening calls for Europe. Yesterday, it was a down day for European markets with the stock 600 ending 1.2% lower. It looks like we're going to see a little bit of a rebound this morning, all four major indices pointing to a higher open. And if you just can't get enough of the scorebox, be sure to tune into our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. Welcome back to Squawk Box. But one of the interesting moves we saw yesterday came from gold, as you would expect in a risk-off day. Gold settled up about 1% yesterday as investors fled some of those riskier assets in favor of safe havens. Now this morning, gold giving back a little bit of those gains, down about three basis points below that 1,300 mark. More of a mixed picture across the broader metal space, uh, but certainly keep an eye on gold today as we look to see how the markets continue reacting to the escalation in U.S.-China trade. Jeff? 
Thank you very much. Uh, let's talk about aluminium. Roussel has uh, hit a four-month low in Hong Kong after reporting a 44% fall in first quarter net profit. The company citing lower aluminium prices alongside lingering fallout from U.S. sanctions, which were lifted in January after being in effect for eight months. The company's chief executive said he was focused on restoring market position amid the uncertainty of the U.S.-China trade war. Uh, it's a mess in the European steel sector. I think it's, it, that's a fact at the moment. And there's real plan Bs being drawn up left, right and centre. ThyssenKrupp, of course, was trying uh, to have a merger of India's Tata still. But now Guido Kerkhoff uh, over at Thyssen needs a plan B as well. But uh, let me just tell you what the numbers are. Adjusted EBIT down 29%. Down 29%. At 353 million euros as well. The uh, profit uh, for the second quarter isn't a profit. It's a net loss. 99 million euros versus 240 million euros last year. Um, they Just a bit of cash flow. Bearing in mind, what did I just say the revenues were? I didn't tell you. 10.64 billion euros of sales, yeah? Up 2%. What do you think the free cash flow is on the back of that? Yeah, 23 million euros. And that's before M&A as well. So lots and lots of questions for ThyssenKrupp. And what happens net next? Uh, Aneta uh, joins us now from Essen with more. Aneta. Well, it's actually a very interesting uh, turnaround or restructuring story. ThyssenKrupp last Friday just made a huge overhaul of their strategy when they uh, were saying that they're no longer planning on merging their steel business with Tata Steel because of concerns that the EU regulator will say no. And then they also said, OK, we're no longer planning to split the company in two. Instead of that, we are planning to reintegrate the steel business and also IPO the elevator business. So. It, that's one side of the thing. Actually, it was an interesting market reaction. The, the, the shares went up by almost 30% on Friday, retracted again yesterday by another 10%. And let's see what the, the market makes out of that numbers, because clearly the numbers show us how urgent a new strategy is warranted, because clearly the numbers are far below market expectations. The net loss is, again, was not expected at all. Looking at order intake, that is also a tad shy of expectations. Sales are shy of expectations. And if you look at what the company is saying uh, about the outlook, that also sounds not ex extremely optimistic because clearly ThyssenKrupp is feeling the headwinds from the trade war, from the economic uh, cycle going down, especially in their material business, but kind of everywhere in their, their divisions. Looking at their strategy, what investors probably like about it that they are sort of mirroring what we are seeing with Siemens. That's the new sort of, I guess, management mantra that it's better to have a holding structure instead of a conglomerate because looking only at the elevator business, very profitable business at ThyssenKrupp, it, that could actually be valued a lot higher on the market if it was not inside the conglomerate. So there will be an IPO of that part of the business somewhere and then in the next uh, next two years, uh, they are guiding us. But as of now, the numbers, as I was saying, they are, they are as, uh, as I said, lower than expected. And most likely the market reaction, again, will not be very positive, looking at the huge swings we have seen in the share price in recent days. Back to you.
Annette, I want to just pick you up on their elevator business. This has been their star business. This is the big news last week that they are going to look to IPO this business. This is what a lot of the investors had wanted. But today we learned that the elevator business saw margins contract this quarter, down from 11.6% uh, a year ago to 10.6% today. How much of an impact do you think this is going to have on the pricing and the outlook for this business where a lot of investors are putting their, uh, their money? Well, actually, I think it's probably early days to speak about the pricing of a potential IPO of the elevator business. But clearly, we're seeing swings in that business. We're seeing uh, that the margins are also not, uh, yeah, they, they're also flexible. So the company needs to work here. Also going forward when it comes to the cost side of things. And I think Tristan Krupp will have to handle quite a few things. Also, talking about new partnerships, that's the new thing as well. They are planning on, on bringing new partners on board for all variety of their business lines. They have quite a few business lines uh, in order to boost revenues, in order to boost profitability. And that's not necessarily what they're saying, meaning that they're keeping the majority in those businesses. So I guess going forward, we're going to see a lot of M&A uh, transactions or actions surrounding ThyssenKrupp. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.